1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Bilstead, I have a new best friend. Oh, yeah? Jody, the IT guy, our new <laughs> IT guy. For, for people who don't know, this is we're, we're going through a change of ownership. It's effective mm-hmm. on Thursday. Yep. So we're, we're changing over all these different systems, and we're getting, we're getting new email accounts mm-hmm. and, and all. Um, for example, my new, it used to be jeff.wagner at wtmj.com. Now it's jwagner at goodkarmabrands.com. All right. So that change was is being phased in like over the weekend. So I, I'm sitting there trying to switch over my email and yeah. on my home computers and on, on my cell phone and stuff. And I was I was able to do it on some, but not on others. So it was my my wife just said, "Stop cursing the darkness. Just go get somebody. You know, <laughs> just go find somebody who can help you." And and our our IT guy Jody, he was he was right there. And I, I gave him my phone. I said, "Please just kind of make this work." And it, 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 you never want to hear this coming from an IT guy going, hmm, interesting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> interesting. But the bottom line is he made it work. So he, he's I, doing great today. He's doing it with a smile too. He's oh, the most popular ab- guy absolutely. in the office. Absolutely. I said, you know, I just, I said, I, I apologize. This is going to be the first of many, many stupid things that I'm going to ask you over the upcoming months mm-hmm. and years. So I apologize in advance for that. But no, it's so now the now the phone works. The stuff. Around here works, and I think he showed me what I need to do to get my computers in line at home. So you have no excuse then. I have no. I know. I never have an excuse. No, no, no. And, and and he's like, okay, well, and if you can't figure out what you need to do at home, you know, just just you know, I'll walk you through it or whatever. You could bring in your laptop, whatever. I said, okay, that's. It. But but it was like like yesterday afternoon. I'm like, I just I know enough to be dangerous, but just not enough to get the problem fixed. <laughs> right, so right. that was it. But so that, that's that is. I think for all of us, Jody's going to be our new best friend as we move through this. All right, what a depressing weekend. I, I just I mean. The, the relentless bad news, the horrible situation Saturday morning in Pittsburgh. And we, we're going to talk about a number of different aspects of that, the follow-up to, to the bombing and aspects of that. But I, I just I can't start the week, and I can't spend three hours talking about just relentlessly bad news. But we, we will deal with some of the very heavy issues uh, that, that has been presented. But we're going to do that over the course of the show. I want to start off our first segment, and we're up on Facebook Live. So you go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. We live stream this so you can watch us and participate that way as well. I want to talk about something that, that happened at the Packers game. And I can tell this might be an interesting conversation because some of my colleagues here, some of my teammates disagree with my take on this. Let me kind of back into this topic. If I were to go into my boss, Steve Wexler, worked for Steve for years and years and years, and say, Steve, I've got this story. I I have decided that Stephen Avery is innocent, and I know who really was responsible for, for the murder. Now, I think Stephen Avery is guilty, but let's put that aside. And I said, and, and I'm going to go on the air at 12.08, and I'm going to break this story, and I'm going to name who I think the real killer is, and th- this is who it is. And Mr. Wexler would say to me, okay, Jeff, let, let's take a step back here for a minute and tell me what you have. And I go through the information with him, and he says, you know, I, I just, you got to be really careful. I don't think you have it. I don't think you have the, the your information's not right. It's not correct. And, you know, you can't go on the air and accuse somebody of committing a crime. So I don't want you to do it. So then if 1208 rolls around and I come on and I crack the microphone and the first thing I say is, here's my breaking exclusive and this is who did it. Boom. And if it turns out that, that ultimately I'm right, well, maybe, maybe they will forgive me for that because I, I was right. But if it turns out that I was wrong and 
all the bad things and the bad consequences that Mr. Wexler told me were going to happen are going to happen. Plus, I ignored a direct order from my boss. Well, do you think that I am going to be back at work the next day? And the answer is absolutely not. And my guess is if you think about you know your employment situation and your boss comes in and says, this is what I want you to do, and then you decide, all right, I'm going to do exactly the opposite. Chances are you're probably going to be looking for a job the next day, right? All right, which brings us to the end of the Packers game. Now, I, I tough loss. I thought the Packers, you know, they're playing the 7-0 Los Angeles Rams. They had every chance to win the game. And you can go back and you can look at all sorts of plays and say, well, if this had been different, if that last series the offense had the ball, they hadn't gone three and out, maybe it would have been a different dynamic. If the punter hadn't shanked the, the last punt, maybe it would have been a different dynamic. You, you, you can always go back and look at different instances. But I, I think unquestionably – the, the final nail in the coffin, the dagger, as it were, was when kick returner Ty Montgomery catches the ball in the end zone, runs it out to around the 20-yard line, carrying the ball like it is a loaf of bread. Somebody knocks the ball out of his hands. He fumbles it, and uh, the Rams recover, and they run out the clock, and they go on to win. Um, you, you reverse it. I don't know. If Aaron Rodgers gets the ball on the Packers' 25 with two minutes left, can, can he move down? Can he move down and, you know, get, they were only two points behind. Can he lead the team to a tying field goal? Maybe, maybe not. But you've got arguably the best or one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the game. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to take my chances with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense needing to go get a field goal with two minutes left. I mean, you've at least put yourself in a position to win. Ty Montgomery bringing the ball out of the end zone and fumbling takes that away. Now, the stories are, and the reports appear pretty much uncontroverted, that number one, Montgomery was told, don't take the ball out of the end zone. He was told not to run the ball back. They wanted to give the ball to Rodgers on the 25-yard line. They didn't want to waste a bunch of time. Now, if he brings it out and he runs it back for a touchdown, maybe you look the other way that he disobeyed. But he didn't. He brought the ball back, contrary to orders, fumbled, and the Packers go on to lose the game. That's number one. Number two is there are now reports that the preceding series, he was removed, they they took him out, and apparently threw a tantrum on the sideline. I mean, this is the way NFL.com's Mike Silver reports. He said more than six Green Bay Packers players and coaches witnessed uh, Montgomery throwing a tantrum and becoming noticeably enraged on the sidelines. And what after he was taken out before, and I mean, the implication of this is he was mad at getting taken out, so he decided that he was going to, he's going to show those coaches, and he's going to disobey the orders. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't care how talented the guy is, although I'm not sure he's necessarily that talented. If I am Mike McCarthy and I have a player that disobeys specific instructions and then ends up costing the team the game and apparently does it not because there is a miscommunication, but does it because he's angry or upset or petulant, I'm not only cutting his butt, I'm cutting him on the plane on the way home to send a message that nobody is bigger than the team. 
Now, a couple of my teammates around here are suggesting, no, that's extreme. He's too talented. You can't do that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I tell if I tell someone or if I am told by my boss, don't do something, I specifically ignore that instruction because I'm upset with them, and then it turns out badly, or even it turns out well, but certainly if it turns out badly, I'm gone. You're probably gone, and I think Ty Montgomery should have been gone. 414-799-1620. I think it makes McCarthy look weak that he is still on the team. You have to stand up, and I think you have to say, look, it's my team. You do it my way, and if you're going to be openly disobedient and you're going to cost us a game, you're going to be looking for a job. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss in just a moment. Again, we're live streaming on Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. I'd cut him. I would cut him. I would have cut him on the plane. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's the text. Hi, Montgomery. Remember TJ Rubley? Yeah. We want you to take the quarterback sneak, not run out and then throw the ball. I, I'm just saying, it's one thing. You can tolerate people who make mistakes, all right? That that happens. We all make mistakes. But when somebody is directly disobedient, don't do this, and they do it because they're hacked off, because they got pulled out of the game earlier or whatever, you can't tolerate that. And I think it is an embarrassment that Ty Montgomery, if that is what happened, and everybody seems to say it is, it's an embarrassment that he is still on this team. I think it makes Mike McCarthy look incredibly weak. You can't allow this to go on. Let's start with Bob downtown. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Real well, thank you. Would you can him? Would you get rid of Montgomery? Hey, absolutely. I'm stunned, actually, that he's still on the team. If everything that everybody says, and as right. you said, it's uncontroverted, he was told to take a knee. He was in the end zone. He takes the knee. That means they get the ball at the 25-yard line. That means they need to only go 40 yards to the 35 to kick an approximately 51 or 52-yard right. field goal. Now, and you've got Aaron Rodgers. So, I'm, I mean, Aaron Rogers, I, give, give the ball to Rodgers and let him try to make the play. Right. Right. You, you have one timeout. You have two minutes. You have Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, if you saw the game, had already pulled his offensive side, the receivers and uh, tight ends and others, and said, all right, basically, I'm sure he's saying we're going to go win this. You also would have got the two-minute warning because he takes the knee. It was about two minutes and four seconds. So they run the first play. Then there's the two-minute warning. Then there's a timeout. Right. It's probably a 70 or 80 percent chance that they go down and at least get a chance at a game winning field goal. But, you know, but regardless, Bob, that's the coach's call. The coach tells the player, your boss tells you, don't do this. This is the strategy I have. Here's what you want to do. And you say, screw you, boss. I know better. And you come out and it blows up in your face. You're going to be gone. That's what Montgomery did. Right. And as you said, it makes, if McCarthy doesn't can him, what does that say for the rest of the season? It makes him look incredibly, incredibly weak. And I tell you, the other coaches and strong GMs and strong coaches in the league, if that was uh, Bill Belichick, if that was right. Pete Carroll, if gone. that was Andy Reid at Kansas City, he's gone. He wouldn't even have been on the flight back. He's right. gone immediately. <laughs> right. Thanks for calling. Here, here's your bus ticket. Well, well, exactly. And, again, that's it, it's if he was really told, and everybody seems to say that's what happened, don't come out of the end zone. And now if it turns out that he did it because it was a fit of peak, because he was mad that he got pulled out of the game earlier, well, I mean, you just can't tolerate that. How can anybody as a boss put up with that sort of disobedience? Mike, in, uh, I'm sorry, we've got Paul on the North Shore. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, cut him. 
I wouldn't, you know, make him, uh, you know, the scapegoat. Aaron Rodgers had the ball with six minutes left, yeah. and they went three and out. So now you're you're telling me that you need the ball back in Aaron's hands with two minutes to go, so they can work his magic. Well, work your magic with six minutes to go. Yeah, but see, I guess I don't see that as the issue. I mean, I, if you're if you're the coach, if you're the boss. And you come up with a plan, and maybe you're right. Maybe Rogers goes and gets sacked twice, or throws an interception, or whatever. You don't know that. But if your plan is, I want the ball in Rogers' hands, you tell the kick returner, "Don't return the kick, catch the ball," and the guy ignores you, directly disobeys you. How can you allow him to still be on your team? Well, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure there are other players who have maybe disobeyed or stretched some of the rules, and I think that's where. The problem has been with McCarthy for this year, last, you know, number of years. Well, uh, I'm I mean, not saying he lost control completely, but uh, I think he's lost more control than, than people uh, like so, you and I probably yeah, understand. They, and, and that could very well be. Look, and I, I mean, I think, you know, and, and maybe if the Packers can't turn this around and aren't able to make a serious run for the playoffs, maybe Mike McCarthy doesn't come back next year. And, that, and, and that's all well and good. And look, and I understand, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm just saying... I don't see how whether if you're a boss, whatever, if you have somebody who is directly disobedient to you, does what you exactly what you told him not to do, um, that in and of itself gets most people fired. If maybe he could have pulled it off and it worked, maybe they looked the other way. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, go run, run, run. But he, you, you not only disobeyed the coach intentionally, but then you screwed up as well and cost the team any chance of winning. How can you How can you address the team? How can you keep the respect of the team if you allow people to just be blatantly, you know, disrespectful of you? 414-799-1620. John in Illinois. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. <laughs> yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, um, you know, I just had a – I was thinking to watch the game. You know, like most of us, it was a nail-biter. But what was really amazing in this is I thought to myself, what would Vince Lombardi have done? <laughs> just yeah. pure and simple. What would Vince Lombardi have done? And I guarantee you that Montgomery would have been packing and he would have said, don't come back. Right. Well, he probably would have gotten cut in the locker room. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, you just, because you just can't tolerate that, that type of stuff. And, and again, it's just it, it's not whether the Packers would have gone on to win the game or not. It's that the guy disobeyed instructions and then ultimately cost him the game. But if you're the coach, you can't allow that to go on. Absolutely. And uh, again, everybody, you know, making a fumble, nobody wants to. But he disobeyed a direct. Right. Right. If, if, right. 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 And, and apparently, yeah. No, thanks for call. And apparently, you're putting this together, and it appears. Like I say, there's all these reports that he was mad in the previous series because he got took taken took he got taken out, and so he's throwing this this hissy fit on the sidelines, slamming stuff around. He's mad. He's yelling because he was taken out. So you get the idea that he's kind of taking the attitude of screw him. Um, I'm going to show him. I'm going to do whatever I I want to do, and you can't do that. You, I just I don't think you can do it. Um, Mike calling us from Chicago. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, nice to talk to you again. I just first want to say it was just another disappointing loss yep. by a team in a big in a big game. I've seen this picture before, but I, I guess if he's defying the coach's orders, uh, yeah, he, ha- he has to be caught. And the previous caller said that Rogers had the ball with six minutes to go in the game. That's true, he didn't do it, but that doesn't mean you can't win the game with two minutes to right. go. And he cost them. Yeah. So I. Uh, I don't see any. You can't play him as a running back because he's not. He's not a running back. He was. He was drafted as a wide receiver. Right. So it's. uh, 
I think if he's if he's defying the coach's orders, he's he's a bad influence on the team. I would let him go. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And I mean, it, and it, look, and, and I mean, it, it's not like he's one of their top two or three players. That's the other thing too. Now, I, I maybe Aaron Rodgers gets more leeway than other players do, and, and maybe you know Rodgers gets to do stuff that um, other players don't. But the, the bottom line here is Ty Montgomery is not Aaron Rodgers. And again, I just go back to this basic premise. Think about your life. Think about the people you have worked for. Think about people who've worked for you. I mean, maybe you're the boss and you say, look, this is the way it, it's got to be. And then you find out that there's an employee who's saying, screw you, boss. I, I know better. I think you're all wrong and I'm going to ignore you. Well, that person's not going to be your employee very long or you're not going to have the respect of your team. I, I'm, I'm with the majority of callers. I don't know if they would have won or not, but if he really brought that ball out of the end zone without, after being told not to, you you got to, as soon as he gets back to Green Bay this day, you got to be in that locker room this morning saying, pack your stuff, you're on the waiver wire. And if he goes somewhere else and he succeeds, God bless him, that's fine, but you can't have him as a member of the Green Bay Packers. All right, thanks for participating in Facebook Live, 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, we need your help to raise the beam. Eric Bilstadt's new WTMJ Cares project hopes to raise money for Wisconsin's 9-11 memorial in Kewaskum. Check out what it will look like and how you can help by texting CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620. WTMJ Cares is presented by First Bank Financial. Um, very, very bad news over, over the weekend. There's just, it's like one relentlessly bad story after another, highlighted by the horrible situation at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, where you have a, a crazed anti-Semitic killer who walks in, starts shooting. Eleven people are, are dead. The shooter ends up surviving. And, and there's a lot of questions this raises. During the, during the 2 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about anti-Semitism and is it on the rise and why would that be the, the case. But one of the initial reactions, and, of course, President Trump comes out early on and, and offers some thoughts on this matter, and he's amplified them over time. But one of the things that he suggested in the immediate aftermath of this is that perhaps more armed guards could prevent shootings such as the one in, in Pittsburgh. And the argument, of course, being if you had an armed guard at, at the door or in the hallways or whatever, when, when things started, that armed guard would be in a position to confront the shooter. Now, there, there is an inescapable, I, I think, logic to this. You know, if, I, I mean, I believe that armed security people, just whether they're private security people or whether they're police officers, they deter criminal activity. I mean, that's one of the reasons that you have a number of police chiefs that want to have huge police presence on the street. We want to knock a cop on every corner in high crime areas because there is a deterrent effect. Somebody is perhaps less likely to go in and try to, you know, do what the killer did on Saturday if if it's not what we would call a soft target. So, I mean, there is a deterrent effect to that. At the same time, think about how many churches and synagogues and mosques there are in in this country and and think about how many people go to worship and they worship at all these different times is it is it real reasonable or realistic to say 
that you know we we want we should have armed guards um at at churches or at synagogues or or at mosques our number 4147991620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line look i mean i i concede that again if the the presence of, of armed guards I, I think would perhaps serve as a deterrent. And if something bad happened, you know, maybe you could have somebody that's there to intervene I- immediately. But at the same time, do we really want to live in a society where you can't go anywhere without there being an armed guard? Do you want your church or your synagogue or your mosque? Do you really think that they, they need to have armed guards? Have we gotten to that point in this country? where you need an armed guard at every door of every place of worship. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I just, I, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a practical suggestion. And I, I also don't necessarily think it, it's ultimately the answer because I think there's deep-seated problems with that. But, all right, should should churches... Should synagogues, should mosques be saying, well, all right, given what's going on today and what the climate is in this country, what we need to do is we need to, all right, let's divert money that we're raising, for example, to to do good work and to help the poor or whatever. Let's use that dough to hire armed security guards. Do you want to go to a church or a synagogue or a mosque where that is the case? And my answer would be, no, I I, I I still I refuse to believe that America is at that point yet. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1239 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1242 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. In the immediate aftermath of the, the horrible shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh on Saturday morning, one of the things President Trump says is, well, you know, maybe, maybe we need armed guards at, at these places of worship. And, and again, I understand that if you would have armed guards outside every church and synagogue and mosque, it would make them not as much of a soft ta- target. But is that really a practical response? Let's start with Chris in Madison. Chris, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, um, thanks for taking the call. Um, you know, I, as I was listening to this and I heard Trump say it, the first thing that went through my head, and I, I'll preface this by saying I have a concealed carry and I do own a firearm, but after taking the class, I don't carry because it, the, the reality of your ability to actually do something with a firearm, right. unless you're highly trained, is very, very ineffective. And if you had a security guard who's saying, sit, sitting there with a pistol on his side, okay, by the time this guy comes crashing through the door, he's pre- number one, he's prepared to die. I think these people are prepared to die when they do this. They're making a statement, and they want to take out whoever they can with them, and they have no regard for their own life, and the likelihood is they're going to take that security guard out. I mean, this happens so infrequently. When you think of every church, everything going on every single day, when this happens, it is, even though it, one time is way too many, five Absolutely. times is way too many, but what's the likelihood... You could actually stop somebody like that. They're coming in in a blaze of glory, and they're they're gonna they're gonna they're right. prepared to die. And and, and so statistically, that's... thankfully, I mean this you you have you have church shootings, you have synagogue shootings, you have shootings at mosques. But but 
given all the number of times that Americans worship, it's not like this is thank the Lord. It is an everyday occurrence. It is, thankfully, an extremely rare sort of thing, which then makes you wonder, all right, is by putting, first of all, you're correct, you know, would that stop it? Would it deter it? Would it make it less dangerous? But also, is is it worth it? Is that the right way to deal with the fact that, thankfully, this doesn't happen very often at all? You know, I, I think might be the better way to go about it is doors have to be bulletproof and they have to be locked and there has to be somebody standing at the door and, you you know, you have to be checked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that violence, you know, you, you don't have to meet violence with violence, but you can protect yourself from it. Yeah, no, thanks, Nicole. Well, I actually have a couple other theories I'm going to be discussing as the program goes on, including the fact that this, the, this shooting rampage, if you look at the background of, of the shooter, it's not like he was shy about keeping his anti-Semitism. Uh, I mean, he, he this guy was haunting the dark web, talking about you know all, all the how he you know hated Jewish people and things of the like. This I think raises some of these larger issues, which is: Do we need to be more effective in identifying the hate mongers that are out there, whether it's religious hatred? Or whether it's political hatred or whatever, and do we need more to be more aggressive in getting them off the streets in the first place, as opposed to trying to do this prevention? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to David on the West Side. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. First time caller. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so I am an Orthodox Jew, and I uh, was pretty shocked and and taken aback by the whole story. It was heartbreaking to hear i did you know look up on youtube to see what the president said and i i suppose he was at a political rally and so he had to say what he thought would score the most points uh specifically his comments about you know if there was an armed guard this wouldn't have happened um i used to work in a school and pretty much the consensus of everyone was the only point of having an armed guard was to have someone else to be shot first Mm-hmm. to have everyone else be able to run for cover. I don't think an armed guard would have been able to do anything other than, you know, be the first uh, sacrificial goat, so to speak. Well, now, I mean, I, I guess sometimes that's true. In other cases, you know, we, we've had high-profile, even high-profile shooting instances that have been um, have, have been a lot better or, or weren't worse because there was the presence of an armed guard who was able to gauge the shootout. But yeah, I mean, I, I, right. I, I understand that, you know, if you have somebody like our last caller was saying that's prepared to die and comes in heavily armed, chances are that that, that armed guard is going to be outgunned to start off with, you know, moving before you even get to whatever the next step is. So I, I do agree that in some cases, that uh, either a police car parked outside somewhere. I mean, I've seen it on corners, you know, where people run stop stop signs all the time, so they just park a police car there just to deter the activity. Right. In this, in this particular case, I don't think it would have would have helped. I agree. In some cases, uh, somebody in a uniform would have helped, but unfortunately, in this particular case, the president was way off the mark. Yeah, I don't, and I mean, just as a practical matter, when you think of all the different churches and synagogues and mosques and and other respective places of worship there there are, I I don't think you can say to every pastor or rabbi or minister or whatever, okay, here, we we expect you to go hire an armed guard. That's that's just flat out not practical in today's society. It's just, it's not going to happen. I don't even know if you have enough armed guards to do that. (laughs) 
Yeah. I, aside from that, I don't I don't know many synagogues off the top of my head that just have the extra funds. Right. For that. Right. 24 hours a day. Yeah, or, or churches or, or whatever. No, thanks. I mean, I guess, see, that's it. It's, it's intellectually, I guess I, I understand it. I, I didn't think it was particularly helpful because, again, I just don't think it's practical to, you know, go to, a, a, again, a, a, a church or a synagogue or whatever. And, you know, he's, he's right when he's talking about the extra funds and say, okay, this is what we want you to do. We, we expect you that you're going to, you know, make a hiring decision and you're going to have an armed guard at every door. It's just, it's not, I think, as a practical matter, practical. Kevin in Chicago. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for my call. Uh, yes, for, for taking my sure. call. I, I would uh, I would echo what both guys have said. I don't think the answer is just to put more guards out there. The next time we have a shooting at, a, at some event that doesn't typically have armed guards, the answer shouldn't be, well, let's put armed guards right. there. I appreciate also the first caller who is a conceal and carry owner. The realization that they're, you know, everyone is, is talking about their rights to bear arms, but have you ever heard or seen a situation where someone with a conceal and carry was able to thwart or, or stop or even slow down one of these, you know, crazy killers? The consistent issue we have is there's too many guns out there and too many people who think they should have a gun who don't know how to use it. Well, and I would add that there's also too many, I, I think there's too many dangerous people, too many mentally ill people, too many hate-obsessed people who are, it's not a surprise that they necessarily act out. I mean, if you I, you look at the guy who was sending those pipe bombs, all right, you, you, you look at his writings, you know, you look at his history, it's not a surprise he did that. This guy on Saturday, you know, who is... You know, t- making all these anti-Semitic remarks and threatening all these acts of violence. I guess, are you surprised that he took that next step? Maybe, but but he was a prime candidate for this, and I candidly think we need to do a better job of getting those people off the street before they have the opportunity to act out. Agreed, and don't give them an opportunity to get a gun, which is just too easy. And I'm I'm tired of the of the argument that everyone has the right to to bear arms. Uh, there were things George Washington believed in 300 years ago that we shouldn't do. And to use that as an excuse is just fallacy. Would you be, and this is kind of going to lead into where we're going next, but let me just ask you this. Would the, the, the shooter yesterday, a shooter on Saturday, no prior criminal record, whatever firearms he had, he apparently had obtained those firearms legally. Because, again, no, no criminal record, no mental health orders in place, although if you look at some of his writings, you kind of almost wonder why that was. So he was able to legally obtain firearms. Would you be in favor of, of say, confiscating guns from from citizens who are otherwise able to possess them? I would. I okay. would. I just, it's not the answer. And uh, those who use them for hunting and, and other purposes, I appreciate that. But we all have to sacrifice something to change what's going on, and it has to start with the gun owners. Okay, good enough. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, all right. I, I, there's many aspects of this story that I, I want to talk about. We're, we're going to kind of move to a, a different one. President Trump says armed security guards. I did not think that that was the answer, but it doesn't mean that, I don't know, there's not a lot of frustration out there. When we come back, I, I want to discuss a, a more difficult aspect of this, which is for these people who are out there spewing hatred, do we need to be able to be more aggressive to, I don't know, maybe prosecute them before 
before they even act out. Stick around. 1252. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1255. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There's no silver line. I, I, you know, one of the things I try to pride myself on is is trying to find a silver lining, even in some of the darkest clouds. I, I'm sorry, there there is no there is no silver lining in connection with what happened on Saturday. You had uh, a hateful anti-Semite who apparently had been again frequently frequenting some of the the dark underbelly of of the internet. There's this this site called Gab G A B that. Apparently, it's it's sort of the haven for like white supremacists and anti-Semites and things like that, where people get together and talk about their hatred for this group or that group or whatever. And the the Pittsburgh shooter had been prominently on that. I, I haven't had an opportunity to see all the different posts he's made, but there, it's very very clear that this man was a ticking time bomb with regard to you know his, his hatred in this case his hatred of of Jewish people. The the problem, of course, is that we live in a free country, and I, I'm talking to you as somebody who makes his living every day under the umbrella of the First Amendment. And the, the question always becomes, sh- is there limitations on that? You know, you I mean, the First Amendment freedom of speech allows people to criticize their government and allows people to express their opinions even if those opinions are offensive to some or perhaps almost all. It, it doesn't allow you, though, to cross over and, and make threatening conduct. And it doesn't allow you, for example, to make, uh, you know, to, to threaten to blow up something, for, for example, you know, even if you don't actually blow that up. But it's a very, very fine line. And if you look at some of these, these hate websites, and you have them on the right and you have them on the left, and you you understand just how unhinged some people end up up being, and I guess I, I've always and one of the things that this has really brought home is is I think law enforcement needs to be more aggressive in monitoring these various sites, and, and I understand there's always going to be people with fringe ideas that that that's always going to be the case, but when you see people that are posting stuff, getting progressively more agitated, things like that. I, I think even if you can't even if you can't go in and arrest them, and I'm not arguing that you should be able to arrest somebody just for what they think, but when they are expressing hate on a regular basis on uh, again and I'm and I'm not talking about gee, you disagree with me politically. I'm not talking about criticizing elected officials or, or criticizing people. I'm talking about the genuine hate the 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 hatred for groups or you know particular types of individuals or whatever simply based on their ethnicity or their religious upbringing or whatever I, I think at that point in time law enforcement needs to be more aggressive in trying to identify who these people are and then monitor them so that perhaps you can get a clue if hey all of a sudden this guy that's on you know one of these anti-semitic websites is out there now he's trying to purchase a whole bunch of guns and even though he's legally allowed to purchase them maybe some red flag should go off somewhere and we we should start being able to check this out cuz that that's i guess the key trying to stop these things and these kooks before before they're actually able to act out to that point when we come back after the top of the hour, I want to talk about the role of firearms in this situation 
and I have what I think is a provocative question to ask you. Stick around. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One hundred eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now we're not going to spend the entire program talking about the, the horrible situation that happened in Pittsburgh on Saturday, but it does, I, I think, bring up some of, of these issues that we need to discuss. I, if you look at the history of the man who is responsible for this, and I see the federal government is asking for the death penalty for him, as somebody who is an advocate advocate for the death penalty. This is one of those where I I understand that every once in a while there'll be cases where people say, well, the death penalty might not be appropriate because it doesn't have a deterrent effect. I mean, it. well, uh, all right, it it deters this man from ever doing it again. But see, I I don't care about deterrent effect. I think there are crimes which are so heinous that the the ultimate punishment is what is appropriate. And I have no trouble in the case with, like this, where there's really no issue about the underlying guilt of the man, I have no problem at all seeking the death penalty, and I would have no problem at all sitting on a jury where if the government was able to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, it it satisfy. I'd have no problem voting for the death penalty, none at all. All right. With one of the callers in the last hour who was talking about his belief that, that the violence in this country and things like happened on, on Saturday leads to, again, it, it's because there's so many guns that are out there. Now, I, I would argue that the fundament, the first problem is not with the proliferation of guns. It's with the fact that you have unstable, mentally ill, dangerous people. And in many cases, people who are predictably dangerous, people who are haunting these websites and talking about their, their violent anti-Semitism or their hatred for this group or that group or this politician or these politicians. And in many respects, I, I think it's not hard to go back and say, yeah, this guy was a ticking time bomb. Look at what he put up on the Internet or look at what she put up on the Internet. Should we be, be able to be more aggressive in going after the, the crazy things that they are saying there? But obviously, the, the other factor is, all right, what, what about guns? And in the case of the shooter on Saturday, he was able to purchase the firearms legally. He had no criminal record at all. So this isn't a situation where um, there's a black market for firearms that he purchased, or he bought these illegal things, or he was a felon in possession. This is somebody with no prior criminal record who decided that he was going to be acting out on Saturday in this terrible way. Right, here are the numbers. Um, let's see. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are about 320 million people in the United States as of January of 2015. So as of about three or four years ago, 320 million. As of that same time, they estimate that there are 265 million civilian guns in the United States. So that includes hunting rifles and shotguns and handguns and long rifles and and everything. 265 million, 320 million people. So my my point is there's not one firearm for for every person, but it's it's relatively close. All right. The let's see, the last numbers I have, October fifteenth. Uh, October of 2015, so again, about three years ago, I've got a Gallup survey. Now, these are just surveys, so there are estimates, but they estimate that about 43% of Americans own firearms, 43%. Now, there's other numbers that suggest it might be less than that. It might be 35%, but, but regardless, 
you have 265 million civilian guns, 320 million people. You have somewhere between 35 and 40 plus percent of the population who own firearms. So that means that, you know, obviously some people own one firearm, some people own a whole bunch of firearms. But you have a huge amount of American citizens who own firearms. And it goes without saying that the overwhelming, the overwhelming majority of those people who own firearms aren't going to use those guns to shoot up a, a synagogue or a church or a mosque. The vast majority of people who own firearms are responsible firearm owners. At the same time, there is this very small percentage who are not responsible firearm owners and who act out in the fashions, you know, like we saw on Saturday. Now, during the last hour, we were talking about this and, you know, I asked one of the callers, they said, would you, would you be in favor of confiscation of firearms? And, and his answer was, yeah, I, I, I think I would. All right. Let's forget about the Second Amendment for a minute and, and let, let's, let's move beyond that. I understand what the Second Amendment says and the interpretation, but you have, again, let's, let's work with this number. 265 million civilian guns in the United States. And maybe it's a little more, maybe it's a little less, but hundreds of millions of firearms owned by somewhere between 35 to 40 plus percent of the population. Should we simply say, all right, the level of firearm violence is so unacceptable that we need to try to make this country a firearm-free zone, which starts with the confiscation of firearms. Let's get guns out of the hands of private citizens. And, and maybe we can make some asterisk. Don't, don't ask me how you handle hunting. I'm just wondering, have we reached a point where we should say enough is enough? Let's, let's start by taking back the guns. Let's do everything we can to get guns out of the hands of people because presumably that would then stop a kook and an anti-Semite and a hater from being able to do what he did on Saturday and 11 people are dead. Are we at this point, are, are, have you had enough of guns? And should we say, let's confiscate them? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 114. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the holidays right around the corner. We are back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, the one and only Jane Matineer, yours truly, and a slave full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 6th, 26th. At 6.30, Monday, November 26th at 6.30, the live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. Be sure to check that out. All right. Um, One of our callers, and I, I understand that there's a number of people out there who are saying, look, how many more of these mass shootings are we going to tolerate? before we recognize that we, we have to do something about the quote-unquote gun culture in this country. And I, I, I understand that. I, I do. But at the same time, the guy who engaged in this shooting, he was had no prior criminal record, um, despite the fact that he's got all sorts of hateful postings on the Internet. He, no prior criminal record. He was legally allowed to purchase guns. And the number of people, they estimate there's 265 million civilian guns in the United States. 
that's in a country of about 320 plus million. Somewhere between 35 and 40 percent of the population own firearms. Almost nobody, statistically speaking, uses those guns in an improper fashion. But should we confiscate weapons? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Rich in Greendale. Rich, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, if, and I know you don't want to get into the hunting issue, so I won't even touch it. No. But you can remove guns from the normal civilian. You can, the police will have them, the military will have them, and the bad guys will have them. Right. And even so, these people that want to do um, damage to a lot of, a large group of people, if they don't have the weapons, Maybe they'll come up, you know. They'll make pipe bombs. They'll pipe make pipe bombs, bombs like the uh, guy last week. Fertilizer yeah. bombs, Molotov cocktails. They'll do anything they can to uh, push their agenda. Um, my biggest thing, and I'm a gun owner, I would absolutely like to get rid of uh, sem- uh, not semi-automatic, but automatic weapons like an AK-47. Mm-hmm. The, the general public does not need to have an AK-47. They don't use them for hunting. They want to do do mass damage, so I would uh, definitely support a ban on something of that order. But not confiscation of guns. You don't see no, the police going door not. to door no, taking people's no, firearms. No, most people that own weapons that are hunters or whatever have you, regular citizens. Uh, or you want it for self defense. You live in a high crime area and you want to be able to protect yourself if somebody kicks in the door at three o'clock in the morning. Even if I'm not in a high crime area, I want something to protect my family that I can get my hands on that right. they're going to know they're going to meet their maker or I'm going to meet mine. Right. Thanks for call. 414-799-1620. See, I, I bring up these numbers to start this topic because I, for, for people who talk about we got to get rid of firearms, it, it's just it's not practical. You know, if we were if we were back in 1780 and we were arguing about, okay, should we have a country where private citizens have the access to firearms? That that That's a conversation to have. But we're in 2018, and there's 265 million guns in this country. The truth of the matter is you're, you're not going to disarm the populace. But there are things that you can, can do. For example, I mean, I just I, – I become more and more convinced that, that we need to – start looking at the breadth of the First Amendment as opposed to the Second Amendment and saying, all right, some of these people who are posting all these hate-filled type of things, do we need to make the definition of hate crime broader? Do we need to be able to, I don't know, perhaps identify and punish some of these people who are using this thing that Al Gore invented called the Internet to to foster their particular type of, of hate? 414-799-1620. Bill in Menominee Falls. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call, Hi, Bill. Jeff. Um, it, it just always amazes me whenever there is a mass shooting of this type, and, and they're all tragic, and we all wish they would not happen. But the knee-jerk reaction of everybody that is anti-gun is they want to take guns away from the people that aren't using them improperly and using them to commit these crimes. It just, it, it just logically, that makes no sense to me. Why would you want to take things away from someone like me who has a legal right to own them and right. 100% would never even consider committing a heinous act like and, that. And you are in, and I would say vast majority, but the extreme majority. I mean, that, that yeah, that's I mean, the it, thing. You're talking about, a, a re- thankfully, about a relative a handful. minuscule amount of people that are going to use firearms in this fashion. And as you said before, 
They're going to make a fertilizer bomb if you take their gun away. Look at what Tim McVeigh did in Oklahoma City. You know, he didn't use a firearm for that and and still was able to push his agenda. And I, I would follow up with what you were saying, that there's got to be a way to go back. Maybe I wasn't thinking First Amendment, but you're thinking along those lines that identify people that are possible threats. And if that means that we need to rewrite the laws of what you can post on the Internet or what you can what right. government can go in and look at to try and identify people that are threats like that. And as you said, maybe not go arrest them, but go talk to them. Right. And have somebody who's trained in that area go, boy, this guy is a possible threat. Let's pursue legal action and continue it on down the way without um, right. violating any of his rights in any way. Yeah, and it's, I think that's, I mean, the more I think about this, I, I just, I think that's kind of the way to go because you, Every once in a while, you have the, these shooting situations that just come out of the clear blue. But more and more, whether it's the pipe bomber last week or the guy on Saturday, you, you go back and they've left a trail. I mean, there it, there it's not breadcrumbs; it's giant loaves of bread showing you know how how they hated this particular type of people or this group of people. It's it's not a surprise, and it, to me, that's where you got to concentrate. These people that are out there, they're making these expressions, this antisocial type of stuff. You, you have to be able to identify them and maybe even prosecute them. If some of the hateful things that they're saying rises to the level of a of, of threat or close to a threat. Right. And the only way that you're going to be able to come up with solutions like this is if people put check their emotions at the door when you want to have a conversation like right. this. If you and I can have a logical conversation. And if I were on the left and having a, you know, a anti-gun agenda, we could have an intelligent conversation and maybe come up with a solution that would right. benefit both sides. But whenever there's anything like this, the first thing people do is they react emotionally, and that immediately throws all logic out the right. window. No. And you can't come with come up with any reasonable solution. Well, exactly, Bill. And it's interesting. And that, that's one of the reasons I, I tried to start off with the numbers. And, and if you think about that, it... it I get into this argument with some of my friends on the right who say, okay, Jeff, what part of, what part of illegal immigration don't you understand? And I, and I always say, okay, let's assume for the sake of argument that there's 11 million people who are in this country illegally. Let me tell you in the real world, there's not enough immigrants. You can't right now send everybody back. There's not enough immigration judges to do that. We don't have the infrastructure. It is just not something that is practical. So if you're trying to deal with the people that are in this country illegally, you have to prioritize things. You just have to do that. Well, I mean, it's the same thing when we have this conversation about firearms. That's why I start with this number. There's 265 million guns in, in civilian hands. 265 million. Tell me how you're going to, tell me how you're going to get rid of those guns. There's 40, if, even if you wanted to, no, 40% of the population, give or take, owns firearms. Tell me how you're going to get rid of those, those guns. It's just not a practical thing. And so I think we have to start thinking beyond that knee-jerk reaction. And and to me, uh, again, it would start with being more aggressive as far as monitoring the, these sites, right, left, in between, I don't care, where you have the raving anti-Semites, where you have the people that are threatening harm against this part of society or that part of society. Start with that and maybe... For those people who cross that line, maybe we should start looking at saying, okay, this this should be a prosecutable act if you're expressing this type of hatred out on some site in the Internet. Now, it used to be there were always these 
these fringe people that were out there. But before the the internet gives everybody a place to go. It gives, you know, these folks who beforehand would just be mumbling to themselves in their mother's basement, you know, now they've got these websites that they can go to and, and they can share their hateful thoughts with other people who otherwise would just be mumbling in their mom's basement and they can kind of get together and feed off each other. That's where we are in 2018. It is the reality. It's the underbelly of the Internet. But, you know, maybe... That's where we should be concentrating some law enforcement resources for these people who are going out there saying, I hate all Jews and I think they should all be killed or whatever. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, saying stuff like that and advocating things like that, at the very least, if it's not a crime and it's not actionable, you should at least have police on your doorstep saying, what's going on here? Just saying. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Gru, who's producing the show. That was your way of like short bumper music. Get back to the show, Jeff. That's what they're paying you for. We're not, they're not paying you, they're not paying you to like play bumper music. They're playing you to do the talk show. So sure, that's important. I've got a producer who keeps me on track. That's fine. All right. Over the um, weekend, we've been talking about the various aspects of the, the shooting and the harp. I, I, I've never, I, I just, I don't understand anti-Semitism. There's a lot of stuff that I, I don't understand. Anti-Semitism is what, maybe it's just because I, I, I just, I, I've, I've grown up in, in mixed communities and a number of my friends since the earliest day have, have been, have been Jewish. It's just like I have Catholic friends and it's, it's, I've never, I, I've, I've never understood. I went to a high school, Nicolay High School in Glendale. And at the time, I would say that the number of Jewish students Somewhere between twenty-five and thirty plus percent. I, I know, unlike on, on the high holidays, there the school was like it seemed like it was just empty. And and I, I've, I've just I've I've never I, I've never understood that the tenets of anti-Semitism. I mean, why why people hate somebody just because they choose to worship differently than than you do? I, it's just it's never made any sense to me. And we're not we're not talking about radical Islam where you have a very very small subset of of a of a group as opposed to islam in general but a very very small subset that teaches that people who don't worship like we do are infidels etc etc that that's that that's never been it i just i flat out just don't understand why you have this this hatred that develops because somebody chooses to worship differently than you but it it is of course you know a reality when we were in europe a couple weeks ago and we're you know, we're a lot. Of, we were in Hungary and we were in Austria and we were in Germany. And a lot of the conversation is, is about, of course, World War II. And a, a number of the cities that you're in um, have been rebuilt because of, you know, the battles of World War II. And you sit there and you think, my, my, my goodness, how, how could this stuff have, have happened? And I understand there's lots of reasons for World War II. But of course, one of the underlying things was, you know, the way, Jewish people were, were treated in, in Germany and some of the other than countries that were taken over by Germany. And you sit there and you just wonder what, what possesses people to think in this particular fashion? And I, and I guess I'm, I don't understand it. And maybe that's a positive sort of thing, but I don't understand that. One of the other things though that's out there is everybody is trying to, to talk about responsibility. Whose fault is this? Now, now the, the answer is in the case of the, the Pittsburgh shooting, the, the responsibility is on the crazy, hate-filled anti-Semite who decided that he was going to take people's lives. 
And if you look back at the writings that the guy did on the websites and things like that, it's apparent that he had been consumed with hate for quite a while. The pipe bomber from earlier last week, you know, fits into a, a different type of hate, but the same sort of, of general category. The guy is clearly a, a kook. He was motivated politically, unable to make a distinction between political rhetoric and the the real world, and so he acted out in the fashion that he had. Well, you have a number of people who are now trying to explain what ultimately is is explainable only by saying these people are hate filled, you know, crazies, and they're they're trying to you know post blame. And of course, given that the nature of the times we live in, number of people are saying this is happening. This is happening. The shooting at the Pittsburgh synagogue or the pipe bombings, it's happening because, wait for it, President Trump has dumbed down and made mean the degree of political rhetoric, the, the use of nicknames, um, the attacks on his enemies. This, this is why people feel more unencumbered than anything to go out and to act in these antisocial fashions. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that a reasonable explanation? The, the fact that Trump has this heated political rhetoric. Trump is on the attack. Trump says this about his opponents. Trump says this. Trump says that. That emboldens people to decide to make pipe bombs or emboldens somebody to go into a synagogue and start shooting. Is it fair to blame President Trump? Does President Trump bear responsibility for what happened on Saturday? Does he bear some responsibility for what happened, you know, last week with the crazy who was sending out the pipe bombs? Where do you come down on this? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 140. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 143. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. A number of people are saying, okay, the synagogue shooting on Saturday, that's... That is something that President Trump bears responsibility for. He has dumbed down the national discourse. He has incendiary remarks. And so he is in presumably emboldening people to act out. Do you buy that? Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yes, I do agree that he bears some. You no, know, the, the, the person that bears the most responsibility is the individuals who have done these, these heinous acts. And, and my prayers go out to those particular families who have been impacted by this. Uh, the, the fact is, is, is that he is the president of the United States. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. And, and, he, and he has the responsibility as, as the president of the United States and the bully pulpit in order to bring this country together. But when he uses phrases, when he uses phrases like uh, nationalism and, 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 and things of that sort, and, and, and and, and, and you have individuals like David Duke and, and, and the white supremacists basically praising him for, for his actions, not his actions, but his words. The fact is, he has, the, he has the power to come on and try to tamp that down. The fact is, you know, I don't know if President, President Obama is a racist or not or, or, or that, but the fact is, the, the, the problem is that these individuals who, 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 who preach this hate believe he is, believe that he's on their side. And so, so when you see individuals coming out and, 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 and planting pipe bombs and saying, just because he caused the, 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 the press, the, uh, 
the enemy of the people. Where have you heard that kind of language from? Not in America. Not in America you ever heard that kind of language. You've heard that in, 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 in communist China. You've heard that in Russia and in, 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 in Nazi Germany, that the press is the enemy of the people. And he, and he, and he tweeted that today. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, so no, yeah, he, he has a responsibility uh, as, as the leader of this country and, 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 and the leader of this country in order to, 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 to try to treat, treat that office with respect, and he hasn't. Let me ask you this, Vincent. When somebody like, for example, Hillary Clinton describes half of the people who support President Trump as being a basket of deplorables, you know, misogynistic, you know, racist, homophobic, et cetera, et cetera. Is, is that the type of rhetoric that we could then say, for example, emboldens the, the shooter who showed up in Washington, D.C. And, and shot Congressman Scalise? Oh, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. You can. You, you, you definitely can equate, equate the, that kind of center, uh, that kind of uh, uh, language to somebody deciding that to, to, to take that as a trigger to go off and do something as heinous as that individual did. And so this, this, this is the problem, that the language that we have, the language that is going on in this country, it is it, starting to manifest itself in these kind of things. And so, but, but, we, but, but Hillary Clinton is not the president. She doesn't have that bully pit, pulpit that, that, our pres, that the president Trump has. And the fact is that he is continuing this. The fact is that, that, that when you look at those individuals, uh, 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 individuals in, in Pennsylvania, uh, 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 in Pittsburgh, that says, hey, they don't even want him to come because the fact is he still touts, he tills, still has the acceptance of white, uh, white supremacists and racists in this country. And he refuses. He refuses to, he, he denounces them in a little bit, but then he goes to his rallies and he puts out this cold and, and, and incendiary language in his rallies that is, that is definitely bringing this country to, to its knees. Thanks for call. I, I, I guess, I, I, I will tell you, I, I understand, I, I, I think if we start with the basic point, that there are, there are, we have always had heated political rhetoric, and I, and I understand that people always think that, oh, this is the worst period of time. But but there's always been heated political rhetoric. I mean, I if you're old enough, you, you can re- remember, you know, what was going on in this country during the Vietnam War, for example, where you really had two sides that were pitted against each other, and it was pretty much anything, you know, anything goes with regard to, you know, the heated degree of rhetoric. If you want a more recent example, I mean, remember when, when you had the invasion of Iraq by President Bush? I mean, Remember the things that were said, and that's where you really saw what I would describe as the hate of the, the rise of, of the hate left, where you know you can say anything, you can do anything. Um, for President Trump's perspective, yeah, I mean, I, I think the rhetoric is over the top. I've been saying that since he became a candidate. I wish he would dial it back uh, a little bit. I would like to see the president be uniter. But my point is, heated political rhetoric is nothing new. Now, maybe because of the 24-7 news cycle and because of the Internet, it gets more exposure. And as we were saying earlier, you, you have you know you have these people who now have outlets where they, they can go and they can go in their little chat rooms and they can voice this type of stuff. But the heated political rhetoric, I, I don't think it's, it's anything new. And, I, I you know, the pipe bomber, you had a kook. The, the, the shooting in the the shooting in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I, in all fairness, I don't see how you link that to President Trump. That's a this hateful anti-Semite. Um, I, I don't know. If there's any of the president's Trump's rhetoric 
which you could point to and say, okay, well, this was something that was supposedly a justification for this. And I, I get the argument that, well, there's this dog whistle or, or that, you know, dog whistle that's out there. I wish he would dial it back. I have been saying that for a long time. I, I think a lot of the stuff he does is, is what I would describe in tone is unpresidential. And I've no guy that's been saying for the longest time, you've got to kind of separate the, the policy from the, the personality. At the same time, I think you can go overboard because I don't, I don't blame Bernie Sanders. I don't blame Maxine Waters. I don't blame Hillary Clinton. I don't blame some of the stuff that's out there on the Internet for the fact that you have the guy that shows up in Washington and ends up shooting the congressman. I mean, I, I, I don't. Do I think that there should everybody should be dialing back the rhetoric? Do I think it's positive for people to say, hey, we're part of the resistance and we can do whatever we want. And if we want to confront Mitch McConnell and we want to scream at him, we want to grab their food. Do I think that that's positive? No, because it contributes to this climate of, I think, in general, unease and discomfort. 414-799-1620. Do I wish President Trump would dial it back? The answer is is yes. I think even a lot of, you know, his most ardent supporters believe that that would probably be best for the country. Do I think he's responsible or contributed to whatever was going on in this crazy guy's head that decided he was going to show up at a synagogue and shoot people on Saturday? That to me is where I think the stretch comes in. Larry in Oak Creek. Larry or WTMJ? Yeah, I, I would agree with you, and uh, I guess I was pretty disappointed in Trump through the whole through his whole primaries and, and some of the name calling there yeah. against uh, fellow Republicans, lying Ted there. Cruz, for example. Yeah, yeah. John. Yeah. I mean, right? Uh, John McCain is not a hero. Heroes are the guys that don't get shot down. Really? Right. Yeah. But I I was kind of hopeful that he would you know kind of bring that back you know once he was elected or something like hey okay now you know we got to come together as a uh, country as a you know a party and all that and he really hasn't i mean i don't see a really good attempt on his part to tone that all down like you're saying no i i don't i mean i think he is what he is <laughs> you know I, that, yeah. it's, I mean it, it, and i guess it's it's not a surprise i remember when president trump was elected i was thinking okay well he's won now all right now that you've won maybe there's going to be an effort to tone it down but i guess the truth is you know, if you're 72 years old or whatever he is, and this is how you've been all your life, you don't change at the age of 72. Right. Um, do you think, I mean, do you do you blame him for what happened on Saturday? Do you think he bears responsibility? No, you can't go that far. You, you can't blame uh, somebody that's pretty, dis- I think he's distant from it, you know, like, um, but could he help the situation a little better? Yeah, I definitely think he could uh, try to unify the country a little bit more and, you know, if, if nothing, I'll say nothing, you know. Well, I, um, I, you know, I see, I, and I agree. And, and part of the problem now is that the die is cast. You know, I mean, the, the, the people are, are so dug in. And the reality is, there, in the eyes of, of some people, there's nothing that President Trump can do that would ever be appropriate. That That's just throughout. It doesn't matter what he said after the thing on Saturday or what he said after the pipe bombing. Nothing, nothing would have been enough to satisfy some people. And on the flip side, you've got other people who think that, okay, well, you know, anything he does is fine and this is just it. And it's that that's where we are. And unfortunately, I think that's where we're going to be for the next couple of years. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, too, how we're viewed in the world now based on, you know, having President Trump, you know, like some of the world leaders and things he said. Uh, yeah. I, I just can't think we're, we're too popular right now. Well, yeah, but at the same time, you know, there is a, 
that there's a rise of populism. I mean, you have uh, the, the guy that just got elected in Brazil yesterday is a populist in the in the vein of a, of a President Trump. You know, that's you you just and again, you just kind of wonder about that because while while people denounce him as being over the top, you have these different places that are voting for that. Um, now, thanks for calling. And I don't I don't I don't have the answer for that, but. Um, the, you know, in Germany, apparently the, um, Angela Merkel is announcing that she's going to step down. Her, her party has been hemorrhaging, just hemorrhaging of candidates and they're, they're, they're losing election after election. These different parliamentary elections, they're, they're losing them right and left. And, and it's, it's this push from, from, for example, the right is this rise of populism. Some people find it to be scary. It, it just kind of is what it is. And some people denounce President Trump, but at the same time, they're electing people like President Trump in these other countries. But bottom line is, I, I think everybody, whether it's President Trump on the right or the people on the left, the resistance movement who decide that they're going to, again, you, you see a, a Republican in public. And we're, we're, we can run out and we can scream at them and we can shout at them and we can do whatever we want to do and we can be confront, confrontational because we're part of the resistance. I, I think if everybody dialed it back a little bit, it would be a slightly better world. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, it's a big game. We've got the last two undefeated teams in the NBA, the Bucks and the Toronto Raptors, playing each other. Giannis is out because he's in the concussion protocol. I understand that. Okay, and that's 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 unfortunate for Bucks fans, but you know you you want to be be careful. The, the one that's tougher to understand is Kawhi Leonard, who is the star for the Toronto Raptors. Now Leonard was out for most of last year. He played with San Antonio, and there was this controversy about whether he was really healthy enough to play or not. But he he left San Antonio. Now he plays for Toronto. The story is he's not injured, but the story is he's, he's being rested. All right, you're six games into the NBA season. I mean, seriously, how much rest can you possibly need? You're six games in. Toronto hasn't played since last Friday. And they're arresting him. This, by the way, is not the first time that they have rested him. They apparently rested him in their other road game as well. Now, I understand he's valuable. I understand he's coming off an injury. But give me a break. I mean, you know, they haven't played since Friday. And it's it's good for the Bucks as somebody who wants to see the Bucks go to 7-0. and It's good for the Bucks, I guess, that they're not playing their, their star. But really, they're resting him? It's six games into the season, and he's already. They've only played. They played six games. He's already sat out one. They haven't played since Friday. They're resting him. Okay, let us completely and totally switch gears. We were talking a lot about the 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 causes and what you can do and can you prevent this shooting that happened in Pittsburgh over the weekend, and of course the dialogue about all the pipe bombing. Let us let us switch to something completely different. Gru, who is producing the show today and always, are you a fan of The Simpsons? A little bit. So, so, so. Okay. The Simpsons has been on the air for 30 seasons. The Simpsons last April um, became the longest running primetime scripted series, 636 episodes and counting. The one before that, and if you were of a certain age, you will remember Gunsmoke with James Arness as Matt Dillon. The Simpsons passed. Past Gunsmoke as the longest 
running primetime scripted series. Now, I understand it's a cartoon, but but it's still it's a scripted series. So it, it's been amazing. 30 seasons. 30 seasons of The Simpsons. I am I am a fan, um, but it's not on my must-watch thing anymore. I mean, I used to... Back back in the day, back in the day, I, I used to spend more time with it. But I, I mean, if it's on, I will kind of watch it. And I, I think it's incredibly clever. I think it's um, it's biting satire, and it is one of the beauties about being uh, one of the beauties of, of being an animated cartoon is the fact that the characters are timeless. So you know, you you have they can just have the, the same edge. It's not like you know if you're. I don't know if, if leave it to Beaver, Beaver grows up. I mean, that's just the reality. So you've got a limitation on it. The Simpsons, you know, Bart and Lisa can be the same age, and Homer can never change, and Marge can never change, etc. But the Simpsons, I think, when it comes to satire and parody, while they miss the mark from time to time, I, I think they, they do a great job. And one of the things that I love about the Simpsons is that, just like I, to a different degree, I, I like South Park. They're, they're equal opportunity. Um, skewers of of people and institutions. I mean, it, it's parody, and people end up getting that. Well, the the controversy that has been involving the, the Simpsons recently has involved the character of Apu, who is the Indian character, not the not not Native American Indian, but the India Indian character who who runs the Quickie Mart. And if you have seen the Simpsons. You know that this character is a stereotype um, of the the stereotypical guy who would run, come from a foreign country and run the, the quickie mart, the convenience store. From you know the accent, which is clearly you know an, an accentuated thing, to some of the things that he ends up doing and some of the things he pushes. I mean, it, it is clearly a caricature. Of course. Most of the things on The Simpsons and most of the characters are caricatures. Homer is one of those. Chief Wiggum, you know, the, the donut-swilling uh, police officer. It is a stereotype. It is a caricature. You have Groundskeeper Willie. You, the, the list goes on and on. Ned Flanders, the next-door neighbor, who is kind of the stereotype of what people perceive somebody who's overly religious to be. It, it's, it's what comic book guy. You know, they're one character after another, and they are all stereotypes. Well, what happened was, with the Apu character, you had a couple people, one guy in particular, who said, look, this is this is racist. And, you know, there's nothing funny about uh, Apu, and it's racist, and it's demeaning, and what what has to happen is that, you know, Apu either needs to go away, or his character needs to be... I don't know, brought into the, the 21st century because, you know, people are offended by the character, et cetera, et cetera. The Simpsons, up until now, really haven't apparently taken this very seriously. Um, you know, they've, you know, made references to, you know, stuff that over the year, I mean, I think that they're dealing with it when they dealt with it on the TV show. It was something to the extent of, well, you know, political correctness now, you know, things that were fun and nobody was offended with about, you know, now the politically incorrect thing, you know, what what can you do? And, you know, they, they have to, I mean, I guess they'll be dealt with or whatever. But the Simpsons haven't taken it seriously. Well, there are unconfirmed reports by one of the producers of the Simpsons that Apu is history. Not going to be, the character is going to disappear from the show 
moving forward. And this is creating a controversy among fans of the show and people who are, well, I don't know, not addicted to political correctness. So I wanted to devote one segment of the show to this. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's no question that the character of Apu, the guy who runs the Quickie Mart, it is a caricature. It is a stereotype of a certain ethnic group and, again, running the gas station. It's also funny. And I think most people realize it is a caricature and it is a stereotype, just like those other characters I mentioned and most other ones on The Simpsons are caricatures and they are stereotypes, and yet we find them funny. In 2018, is Apu, that character, so offensive that it can't be on a television show? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And should The Simpsons just get rid of the character? And that's... Apparently, that's pretty much what's happened. There, there hasn't been, he hasn't been featured on much of anything recently, and now the word is that they think he's just gonna, that character is just gonna quietly disappear. Are they doing the right thing, or is this political correctness run amok? And if you are a fan of The Simpsons, I would be particularly curious as to how you feel about this, and, and where, where do we go from here? Should Comic Book Guy be, be off the, the show? I mean, where do we, I mean, if you're kind of the guy that lives in your mom's basement, should you be offended by people making fun of you? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner, and we are back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, the one and only Jane Matinair, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. From Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30, the live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be a part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. Okay, if you're just tuning in, it's it's a story about a TV show, but it raises some of these larger issues. The Simpsons is the longest-running scripted TV show on television now, 30 seasons in. The character of Apu, who is a stereotype, a caricature of the guy that runs the immigrant who runs the quickie mart. All right, some people of Indian descent have, not American Indian, but, you know, India Indian, have been upset with the portrayal. They're saying, hey, this is racist and, and he needs to go. And the Simpsons, at least the reports out over the weekend, one of the producers is saying, yep, um, Apu is done. Now, the, the creator is not saying that, and there appears to be nobody's necessarily admitting it, but is it time for Apu to go? Let's see. Let's start with Bill in Kenosha. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hey there, um, just calling about maybe the old episodes. You know they're not going to take the old ones down off of syndication. They're playing in repeats all the time. Why remove Apu from future episodes if Apu is going to still be on syndication for years and years to come? Ah, so you're, I mean, well, let's let's follow that, that train of thought. If If that character is, in fact, offensive by today's standards, should they, should they pull the reruns? Right, and I, you know they're not going to. I mean, the same situation happened with Shorewood and that, and, they, and the play. You know, they, they cut it because no one wanted to hear it. It, it, it didn't fit what we're doing in, these, in today's culture. Right, same, right. Same with, the, and with Simpsons. 
it doesn't fit today, but what about what's been going on for the last 20 years? I mean, that show's been on for years. Right, and, and, we'll, and we'll live on in reruns long after you and I are gone, would be my guess, Bill. It's yeah. a part of Americana. Well, it, it is. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Mark in Riverwest says, Jeff, can you say political correctness run amok? Another text, uh, you can't do or, geez, you can't do or say anything anymore. The Simpsons is a cartoon that is built on stereotypical humor. Uh, come on. Let's see. Let's update. Chief Wiggum has been referred to on the show as Pigum, and police forces aren't up in arms. It's funny. Homer himself is a lazy union-backed worker and could be seen as offensive by unions, but is considered funny. People need to get a sense of humor. Now, it's clearly a, a caricature. There's no question about it. Jesse in Green Bay says Homer is a stereotype of a fat white guy. Nobody is saying that they are offended by that. 414-799-1620. Tony in Sheboygan. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, great. First time on the show. Thanks for calling, Tony. Yeah, I guess my my point would be if you took away all the offensive characters, you'd be left with a, a, a show full of Lisa, who's the most boring character on the show and never says anything funny. Right. <laughs> People need to lighten up. I mean, it, you know. Well, but I mean, okay, but he he is a cultural stereotype. There, there's no question about that. Well, what makes him a cultural stereotype? Because he runs a gas station and he has an accent. Yeah. And there's no, there's nobody in America that has an accent that runs a gas station. It yeah. happens. Well, well, also everybody and, on that show. I'm sorry, but yeah. everybody on that show says stupid things. That's what makes it fun. Right, right, and and they're all stereotypes, right? That that's it. I mean, whether it, like I said, it's a comic book guy, or it's the police chief, or it's the the bus driver, or it's Mo the bartender. They're all different types of stereotypes that we kind of recognize and and sort of laugh at and laugh with as well. Well, and honestly, Jeff, compared to what Family Guy gets away with. <laughs> yeah, or 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 South Park. Yeah, no, no. Thanks to or or South Park. I mean, you just, you just watch South Park for a while. And I, I admit every every time I'm I will watch it from time to time. And some of the South South Park to me is like real hit and miss. And some of the stuff is just I, I think funny as heck. And other stuff is just wow, I can't believe that they're doing that. Let's talk to Chris on the east side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Well, I if. People are finding it offensive, uh, especially um, Indians or, or descent. Uh, I think that the characters should be removed. Uh, what I'm hearing from a lot of the callers, and it kind of happened with Megyn Kelly, is just the tone death, uh, no diversity, no one of that um, background, or um, it's just generally white males. It's, it's funny. Get over it. And the sensitivity uh, is not there and it's lacking. Uh, I, I think it can be funny to a certain extent. Now, if I'm going to watch South Park or Family Guy, to me, that's more of an adult show. The Simpsons, I would call it more of a family show. And as times progress, I think that they need... He's not a major character. No, he's not. Get, get rid of him. It's a family show. Okay, well, but, but I guess where do we where do we draw the line, though, Chris? If, if you uh, the, the 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 Ned Flanders character, you know, who's kind of an evangelical Christian, if if people complain about that, we think that this and it, it this stereotypical um, the, the way he's referred to is, is is stereotypical, 
and we think it's insulting to evangelical Christians. Should, should you do away with that character if that group I, I complains? Think, I, I think the difference is when it's a cultural or a racial issue. And again, that's where the tone deafness comes in. Is you can anything could be stereotyped. Yeah. And, and, but when it comes to sensitivity, and we're talking about cultural or racial, I think you can't compare that to uh, some of the other characters, somebody that's a, a cop or somebody that's a bartender. To me, that's not the same. Well, how about uh, make fun of the guy's religion? I mean, he, he's mocked because, again, he's an evangelical Christian. I mean, if if, if people so, who were evangelical Christians were offended. evangelical Christian on the show, did they specifically say that what Ned Flanders is? Well, but it's you know, well, sure that's what it that's sure that's what he is. There's no question about it. That's what they said they specifically, and you can tell by uh, uh, a pool character yeah. what they're referring to. Yeah, he could be he could be any uh, tight wad uh, Christian person that goes to church and the church lover. It was no uh, somebody who said specifically this is what we're referring to. Well, I mean, I think I think I think you're splitting hairs on that one. I mean, I I think the I mean, I guess the question becomes: All right, um, if if fat white guys are offended by the, the depiction of of Homer Simpson. Do we have, you know, do you have the right? Do we have, do we have the right to complain and say you got to, you got to take that off the air because we're offended? And at, at the end of the day, I mean, here, here's the concern: it, it, what, what are you left with? You know, what are you left with if, if we can't have satire? And it, it's a show of satire. What are you left with if you can't have a show of parody? And, and, and I guess I, I understand. That satire is uncomfortable and parody is uncomfortable, especially, you know, in, in 2018. But I guess I'm, I'm hoping that the Simpsons, and again, it's a minor character. So at one point in time, I guess it's like, is, is it worth the fight? It, you know, who, who, who cares? But there, there is kind of this principle that if you're going to have parody, if you're going to have a show of satire, can you allow that to be then driven by, you know, concerns about political correctness? I hope they keep the character, but, you know, who knows? 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Wow. The, the stock market was actually up this morning. The Dow now down 380-some points. The NASDAQ down 175. That's like 2.5%. Just another bloodbath in the, the stock market. It's been going on for a couple weeks now, and don't know if it's earnings or what exactly is going on, but certainly not a pretty sight. Hey, during that, that break, we had a commercial for the Wheel and Sprocket folks. You know, Gru is producing the show. I, I, actually, over the weekend, people were asking me, did you really go out and buy an e-bike? Yes, I, I bought an e-bike. Bought it at Wheel and Sprocket, as a matter of fact. Didn't get a discount or anything, but bought it at Wheel and Sprocket. And we, I'm actually looking forward to the spring. We bought it, you know, late in the cycling year and when we're traveling a bit. But I'm, I'm actually looking forward to really getting at it in the spring. I, I'd love I love those e-bikes. It's a perfect thing for somebody of a certain age. If you're not quite up to the 50-mile or 40- or 30-mile bike rides going uphill into the wind, e-bikes are the great thing. But you still get all sorts of energy and exercise and stuff like that. Looking forward to that. Got one, and my wife has one. And uh, she, she would, of course, be up to – I don't think she would necessarily need it, but we had a lot of fun with them. And so looking forward to that. That's going to be, I think, on our springtime list of things. All right. A couple weeks ago, I'm 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 on this river cruise in Europe, and you're going to all these these cities, and you're seeing churches, and you're seeing these public buildings and museums and things like that. One of the things, one of the senses you get if you are in certain foreign countries is authorities don't fool around about some stuff. You you go to Germany and Austria, 
and Hungary. And you just kind of, which is where we were, you just kind of get this general sense that uh, when it comes to some things, while they welcome tourism, they just don't have a sense of humor about some stuff. So just don't even think about doing this. Which brings me to this story um, involving the, these people who were in Thailand. Now, I have never been in Thailand, but my my kind of sense would be, I think people, you know, authorities in Thailand, when it comes to certain stuff, just like authorities elsewhere, have no sense of humor about certain things. So here is the story. It involves <clears throat> a 23-year-old British guy from Liverpool named Lee Furlong, and a 22-year-old, I assume it's his girlfriend, her name is Brittany Schneider, she is Canadian, all right? So they are on vacation in Thailand. According to their own their own version of events, they get, quote-unquote, ridiculously drunk. Not just drunk, but they get ridiculously drunk. They then grab a can of spray paint. Now, let me just, just leave this out here for a minute. You're on vacation in a foreign country. You get yourself just commode-hugging drunk, and you've got a can of spray paint. All right, what could go wrong with this? Well, what they do is the two of them head to something called the Ta Pai Gate um, in, in Thailand. It's a 13th century wall, okay? And it's one of the most famous attractions in Thailand. And it's part of a fortress around the ancient city. Okay, so you got me now. It, it's this ancient, ancient wall, part of a fortress. They're drunk. They've got a can of spray paint. And they decide they're going to spray stuff on the wall. He, this would be the guy, spray paints the word Lee which is a misspelt reference to his hometown of Liverpool, England. The gal, then wanting to be part of this, her name is Brittany, takes takes the can of spray paint and spray paints a big B on the wall. So they have now, dead drunk, they have defaced the wall. Well, they, they get caught. I mean, it, it's all, it's on tape, videotaped, they get caught. They are arrested. They are thrown in prison. And the authorities are saying, you are looking at 10 years in, in prison. And, you know, plus this kind of nasty fine. They apparently have now both been released on some form of bail. But what's happened is they've taken their passports away. And they're, they're saying, okay, this was really very stupid. You know, we've been drinking. We're, we're sorry about this. Um, their passports have been taken away. And they're not now, they're now not being allowed to leave the country while this whole thing is working through, and there appears to be a decent chance that they might be thrown in the Huskal for a period of time. And they're saying, we're sorry, but we shouldn't go to prison for any sort of lengthy period of time. I mean, after all, we were just drunk. We had the can of spray paint. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Implicit in this is they're trying to get some publicity, and they are trying to get their government's to intervene, now this is an American, this is Canadian and Britain, they're trying to get their governments to intervene to help bail them out of this situation that they find themselves in. Gee, they're going to send us to prison for getting drunk and spray-painting stuff on this, this wall. Are you sympathetic to them, or is whatever happens to them 
whatever happens to them. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you do the crime, should you do the time, even though, okay, maybe in the United States or maybe in Canada or maybe in Liverpool, you spray paint something on, on a wall. All right, maybe it's not going to be any big deal. In Thailand, spray painting something on this huge ancient wall, they view it, now they just don't have a sense of humor about it. All right, what should the consequences be? We discuss next. 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I don't want to come across as unsympathetic, but all right, I, I'm in Hungary a couple weeks ago at the start of this river cruise. We, we go out to, all right, the, the first night we're there, we take this tram up to this presidential palace. It's got spectacular views. If I was liquored up, had a can of spray paint, and started spray painting, you know, Jeff Wagner rules on the outside of the building, and they caught me. Well, I, I don't think that they would have had too much of a sense of humor. They would have taken my passport, and chances are I, I'd probably still be in Hungary trying to work this out. This is what happens in Thailand. You've got this couple. She's a Canadian. He's from Liverpool, England. They get liquored up, and they go out, and they deface this wall, which is one of the this historic wall that goes back to the 13th century, and now they're looking at up to 10 years in prison. doesn't say they're going to get 10 years, but they're now saying, oh, we just don't think this is fair, and we're really, really sorry, and we were just drunk. Well, I mean, so far, Thai authorities aren't impressed by this, and there's this implicit thing saying, okay, we need other governments to get involved and bail them out. Here's a text. I have a huge issue with this. If governments get involved, when you go to another country, you should be bound by their laws and their laws alone. I was stationed in Thailand twice, and you couldn't ask for nicer people. They'll give you everything and anything they have, genu- they have genuinely. However, there are a few rules in this country, and they do not sway from, and their history is definitely one of them. 414-799-1620. Dave in Greenfield. Dave, good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dave. Uh, I, I am sympathetic uh, towards them, but... They're screwed. I mean, the people of Thailand have their laws, their rules, their regulations, uh, and they're going to enforce them. Um, And if you're a guest to their country, you have to obey or face the consequences. I'm also a Marine veteran, and there was a time I was on a ship uh, headed towards that region, um, and we were literally warned for two weeks straight every single day. (laughs) Yeah. Do not do this. Do not do this. Obey their laws. Don't even spit on the sidewalks. Make sure your gun gets put in the garbage. Because if you mess up, you are going to pay the consequences, and you might not be getting back on the ship. Right. And and graffiti, for example, I mean, I'm sure there were things that seemed minor to you or might not be a big deal in the United States that was a big deal to you know where you were going. And they said, look, this is what the rules are, so don't do it. Yeah, and it's just an example for others that are traveling around the world abroad that when you leave our country uh, and you're not familiar with laws, rules, regulations, you had better get somewhat familiar before you decide to go out and get drunk. <laughs> right, right. And and then deface some national institution. You know, that, that, that's the, I mean, it's, it's not even like you can make this argument, gee, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to turn left here or something. I mean, everybody knows. You know, you, you you don't take a can of spray paint and start writing your name on, on some church in Vienna or whatever. Bad things are going to happen if you do that. Right. And, and again, I you know, I do feel sympathetic for them. I feel sorry for them because they potentially could be locked up for a very long time. But you know what? When I was on the ship headed towards where we were headed towards, they warned us straight up. If you screw up, you could be caned. And there's <laughs> nothing we can do about it. You can be a Marine or not a Marine, U.S. citizen 
or not, you're going to get caned if you screw up too bad or uh, worse. Yeah. So, so don't, I think, thanks for, don't get drunk. Don't do this type of thing because it is going to create issues. Let's talk to Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, 10 years for a nonviolent crime. Um, you know, I would say make them clean it up, do, you know, thousands of dollars worth of fines. Yeah. Good. And, you know, jail, I would say, you know, days to weeks or, you know, even a month, you know, teach them a lesson. Uh, 10 years is, you know, utterly ridiculous for nonviolent crime. And, you know, what is the charge for a, you know, Taiwanese citizen versus like a foreigner? You know, is it, you know, eye for eye? Well, let's assume that you raise an interesting point, Brian. So work with me on this one. Let us assume that if you had a Taiwanese citizen who did something like that, and the, the typical penalty would be two and a half years in prison for the sake of argument. Okay. Um, if that's what a Taiwanese citizen would get, would you expect that these people get less because the Western standards are different? No, but like, you know, 10 years for, for graffiti that is probably, you know, able to be cleaned up. You know, it, it yeah. depends on the level, you know, if it's like Eiffel Tower, if it's a national monument that's, you know, the most important, you know, monument in the, yeah. in the country, that, that'd be one thing. But, you know, 10 years is, you know, extremely excessive, um, you know, obviously, you know, the charges, you know, if I was, you know, the Taiwanese government or whatever, you know, make them clean up themselves, right. give them, you know, give them the equipment, tools, whatever they need, clean up themselves, thousands of dollars worth of fines, you know, you can confiscate their power, throw them in jail for days or weeks or even up to a month, but 10 years for nonviolent crime is, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, you know? I think, they, well, I mean, I guess that that's the maximum, but at the same time, I guess, I mean, I have a text from Lori. She says, wouldn't the United States be equally outraged if somebody spray-painted mon- on, on one of our national monuments? Yeah, you get um, you get the couple that, that shows up and, and gets drunk, and they're at the Lincoln Memorial, and they're spray-painting stuff here. Here, Jeff, I just got back from vacation in Thailand. This is a big story over there. One thing tourists needs to know, you don't mess with their monarchy their history, or their religion. If you do, you're going to end up in prison, period. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's 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 kind of the thing. Now, I mean, I agree with, with our last caller that, I mean, and the 10 years is the maximum. I agree. That strikes me as a lot for graffiti. But I guess the, the point of, of this is that it's tough for me to be too terribly sympathetic because when you go somewhere else, you, you, know, you, you abide by those laws. And you got to recognize that what might not be a big deal. Now, again, I, I get the impression that this particular wall, this would be like the equivalent of the Alamo or something like that. But, but, but regardless, you know, when you travel overseas, one of the things you have to realize is that you know different places might view different things differently. And in this case, defacing a national monument when you're drunk, well, that's that's going to be a huge issue. So I guess the bottom line of, for me is, I'm I'm not too terribly. I, I hope they don't get ten years in prison, okay? Because I agree, I think that that might be a bit excessive. But at the same time. It's it kind of it, it is what it is. Hey, before I bring John McCure in, I want to I want to just take a personal note on, on the show here. I have been here at WTMJ for more than 20 years. Over that time, 
I have had, I've been very, very fortunate. I have had six full-time producers, only six. Some hosts go through all sorts of, all, all sorts of, but I, my first producer was my friend Young Dan, who I still stay in touch with. My second producer was Amber, and uh, she still works here. doesn't work for me, but she still works here. And then we had the divine Ms. E. Elise, who I'm still in, in touch with. She's in Atlanta. And then we had Crowbar. I'll come back to Crowbar in a minute. And then Hondo, and now, now Gru. Six, six producers. Crowbar. <clears throat> well, I mean, that, that wasn't his given name. Crowbar, um, this guy named Eric Brooks. And Eric went on to left me. Just left me in the lurch. No, he didn't. He left me and went on to produce the Wisconsin's Afternoon Show and then kind of worked his way through the ranks and has been our program director here at WTMJ for uh, a while now. And just it has really been he's been here seven or eight years. And it's been my pleasure really to watch how Eric has grown and developed. And, you know, just he may start off producing my show and now he's the program director and. I guess theoretically, I reported to him. You know that, and I always, I always told him early on. I said, you know, you're going to be the guy that's going to be firing me at some point in time. Well, um, I, I bring the, this up because uh, they, they just put out the announcement now. Our, our program director, Eric. Um, well, we, we wish him the very best. He's going to be leaving us uh, Wednesday is his last day here. He's going to be moving to the number four radio market in the country. Um, and he's going to be going to KCBS in San Francisco as the assistant news director. And that's it's um, it is a loss to us here at WTMJ. But it's a great opportunity for Eric and his, his wife, uh, Jen. And I'm very on a personal level. Again, this is somebody that, you know, helped me. I kid my producers on the air. But any any radio host who wants to be honest will tell you that we could not do our shows unless we had really, really good producers looking out for us and not just doing the call screening, but doing all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And Eric, um, it was just a pleasure to work with him as he was starting out his career. And I have been genuinely, genuinely pleased that he's not only my friend, but to watch him progress and um, at a very young age, becoming a program director of a big deal heritage radio station like WTMJ. And this is just the uh, latest step in his development. And I'm very sorry to see him go, but it's a great opportunity. Again, he's going to be like the number two guy at a big radio station in the number four market in this country. So it's a great opportunity, but it's certainly WTMJ's loss. So I didn't want to let the program end without just on a personal level telling him via the airwaves how just absolutely pleased and thrilled I am, how sorry I'm going to be to see him go. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Stick around.